Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 133, Someone She Can't Bear to Lose. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 15 of Buffy, I Was Made to Love You, and series 9, episode 5 of Doctor Who, The Girl Who Died. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so we're starting with Buffy this week, and it's a very interesting episode of Buffy, (laughs) but we're not going to talk about the ending quite yet. Um, no, I know it's hard not to. It kind of hangs <laughs> over everything that goes before it. Um, but there is other uh, material to actually discuss. So, um, I guess before we really get started, you wanted to say something about the actor who plays Warren. Yeah. I well, and I, you said it sort of hangs, and my immediate thought was like a Paul, um, <laughs> which, you know, has the double meaning there. Um, but yes, anyway, uh, we'll let it hang for a while. Um, yeah, no, I did want to talk. Uh, I know I'm not as diligent in my production notes as you, but I did want to um, mention two things. One written by Jane Espenson, not um, quite as humorous as a lot of her episodes typically are. No. Although, um you know, it has its moments. Uh, sure. And I don't know how much of it is because <laughs> I know we said we're not going to talk about the ending, but right? I wonder yeah. how much of it is that, you know, they didn't want it to be too silly given the ending. Sure. Um, sure. I don't know. I could also see another argument that like, hey, maybe it should have been more silly and then it would have been even more shocking because you wouldn't be expecting it or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, right. But I could see that being like kind of a cheap trick to like, oh, it's going to be Espenson at her silliest before we like slam you with the brick at the end. You know, whereas yeah. like maybe toning that down a little bit is a little bit, you know, it, and it is still you're right. It's it's still Buffy and it's still a Jane Espenson episode. So it has its humor. It's not like it's like dour the whole way through or anything, but I kind of like that they didn't like trick you with a like really goofy, you know, band candy kind of like episode, you know, leading yeah. up to the ending. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't maybe surprise me if they kind of deliberately, if, if maybe she deliberately uh, went a different direction than she normally does because of that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, but, you know, definitely, I, I do like the episode overall. And um, there are some, inter- like, even even uh, in, in choosing our episode title here this week, mm-hmm. um, Someone She Can't Bear to Lose, which actually, you know, which obviously comes from the Doctor Who episode we're going to talk about later. Yeah. Um, like, clearly, that works with Buffy and Joyce. Yeah. Um, but also you mentioned right before we started recording that like there's that's a very big uh you know something um that applies to April as well. Yeah. So like there's even parallel like even though the the 
you wouldn't necessarily think that there are parallels. There obviously are. Like, yeah. I mean, in a way, there's there's two uh, shutdowns. <laughs> this yeah, this uh, episode. Can can I call? Can I say that? Is it a spoiler to say that Joyce is dead? Uh, no, um, I don't think so. Uh, like, I mean, like, it seemed pretty obvious it's, at the end. It seemed um, pretty clear to me. I mean, I know we always say in both of these shows, you know, they are fantasy shows. So often, you know, death isn't always final so that it doesn't, I don't think it's a, but it seemed to me clear that within the world of the show at this moment, you know, that seems to me clear that, you know. Yeah. Joyce had died. I don't think it would, you know, it, you're not spoiling me to say that. Yeah. Um, um, also, I know that you're already aware that the next episode of Buffy is called The Body. Um, yeah. And, 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 that's and a, I, I know that I've spoken about that particular episode. Right. Right. Um, and that is an episode like, like Hush that I know by reputation, like don't know any of the, details about sure. like I've never seen clips from it but like you know in articles of like you know where they say titles of like great episodes that's a name I've seen referenced like you know so I know that that's a even apart from the ending of this episode if I had just seen the title I would have known that that was like an important one that was mm -hmm. coming up um but of course when I ended this episode and I'm in Netflix and I see that the episode is called the body that like, Oh, okay. I I have a guess as to where this is going, but <laughs> sure. sure. Um, all that to say, we're not going to talk about that now. No. And we have to wait. <laughs> and, and I, I was just away for two weeks. So I had to wait to talk about this episode and then we're going to talk about angels. I have to wait again. So yeah, this know, is like the longest cliffhanger in my life. <laughs> and I, I briefly considered, like, maybe just this once, let's do the next Buffy episode, like, out of order from Angel, and then we can, like, sure, double figure, up, you know, yeah. double up Angel for a couple yeah. weeks uh, to get back on track. But the next episode of Angel is a pretty good one written by Tim Minear. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so I don't want to skip that one. Yeah, all right. That's <laughs> so okay. I'm going to. I'm going to make you... This is payback uh, for all of the two-parters in Doctor Who this year. <laughs> right, right. Anywho, so... Um, I did want to mention, too, that we get um, uh, our introduction of Adam Bush as Warren Mears here. Um, and... I'll say that um, we... Like, this isn't the last episode where we see Warren. Um, I don't know if that's sort of implied by... Mm -hmm you know, Spike sort of giving him a job. Um, right. I guess maybe it may or may not be like, we don't necessarily, that wouldn't necessarily mean that we see Warren again, even if he's sure. character is referenced later. Right. Um, but, right. We do. but they do, they but do, we do see him. Right. Um, and and definitely it's implied that there's more story there. Right. And like, right. yeah, and, that there's at least going to be consequences, even if we didn't see him again, but it sounds like we will. Um, so I just I wanted to uh, bring up that like this is a you know a recurring actor that we'll see. Um, also, just that um, the character Warren actually um, 
we see him even in like the Buffy comics and stuff. So like, this is a character mm-hmm. that, you know, again, I'm not going to say like how much or like, you know, whatever. I'm not saying right. that like, he's like the be all end all or anything, but like right. just that he is someone who we see again, um, Adam Bush as an actor. Um, so, uh, well, just so interesting. Um, he and Amber Benson, who plays Tara mm-hmm. <clears throat> dated for, a number of years the better part of a decade i don't know exactly how long okay um i believe they met on this show um they're no longer dating but even um as recently <laughs> as like 2010 they co-directed a movie which actually got some acclaim um oh okay one uh not i don't think it won anything in the u.s but won like a german like audience indie film award mm-hmm. you know something like that so like you know some some pretty cool stuff that they did and, and yeah um, and they were, I don't, I don't know if they started dating. I think they started dating. I, uh, oh man, I should have kept my Wikipedia page up. I think it said like 2003 or something. Okay. Um, so like near the end of when Buffy right. was okay. running, like not, you know, they weren't like dating it when this episode aired, but like they probably, they right. probably met like, you know, here and right that turned into something there so you know again not like a huge deal but just kind of always interesting to see the relationships and the things they go on to do um yeah yeah because both of them have gone on to do other movies and books and you know um that kind of thing so um yeah so just kind of wanted to mention him and bring up that stuff uh interesting anyway so um okay well so since we are talking about Warren, we might as well start there. Um, you know, with the Warren and uh, April plot, you know, um, which isn't, you're right that it, it, I mean, obviously it's the kind of like monster of the week, if you want to call her that, um, you know, not really, but like, it's the problem of the week, let's, or maybe Warren is the monster of the week. Um, but, uh, right. It, you know. Right. Is it is it like in an inverse Frankenstein? Where yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's the creator who's the monster. The creator, being, yeah, yeah. Um, um, of course, from Frank is, from the monster's view, Frankenstein is the monster. Right. And kind of, to go off on a Frankenstein tangent, kind of appropriate that, like, he becomes synonymous with his monster. Like, when you think of Frankenstein, you think of the monster, not so much the scientist. But um, I think it is that thing of, like, you know, whenever you, whether it's a robot or like a reanimated corpse, when you have, you know, a creature who's doing bad things because it's been sort of, you know, neglected and abandoned by its creator, the creator is probably the one who's really at fault here. Um, you know, or at least like in, in these types of stories, it seems to me that that's true. So and because of all this stuff, like, you know, they do do a good job, even though it is like a kind of like a one-off, you know, thing of the week, they do a good job of tying it into what it has to say about all the other things going on. So you mentioned how like April's sort of death kind of parallels Joyce's death and sets that up a little bit. But obviously there's also the like, romance and boyfriend stuff that's going on with Buffy and everything um Mm -hmm. so I like the way that you know they use the 
the kind of one-off thing of the week to kind of comment on all these other things. Um, yeah. You know, so we have like Buffy, um, as she like in her own words, obsessing about all this, like carrying over from the last couple episodes where she's still kind of missing Riley, but but still, I think more so missing that idea of Riley or the relationship or the fact that like having somebody still seems to be like the primary thing that she's, you know, it's not so much, I don't want to say she didn't care about Riley, but what she is still like angsting about is like, what if I never find anybody else? Like, it's almost like, it's not so much a thing of what if Riley never comes back? It's like, what if all my relationships are doomed to go in this direction and I will like destroy every good thing and drive everybody away and all this stuff. Um, so to have that kind of like be paralleled with, you know, they introduce April as this like single minded love machine who only has one thing on her mind, which is, you know, finding Warren, finding her boyfriend and, you know, pleasing him and everything, you know, it's kind of like, it suggests like, you know, that that's something similar to what Buffy is doing of, you know, maybe approaching it as like a very kind of black and white sort of situation. Um, so yeah, that's good. I like the way that they did that. Um, and I like, uh, to kind of like go on from the, what happens in the beginning. I like this stuff that, you know, that it's kind of Xander who's the one to really, you know, get through to her, which is kind of sad for Xander. He kind of like, you know, it's in he, when he's consoling her about her other relationships that he's like maybe at his most sensitive. Like he's sort of like, you know, well, now you want to hug me. Like whenever the two of them were never kind of, going to get together romantically, but he can still sort of cut through to the issue and kind of yeah. help explain it to her a little bit. Yeah. Yep. I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> well, so I think I, I love the line where Buffy calls him a creepy dweeb. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's true. Like, I, you know, I think, so yeah, with the metaphor stuff, like, you know, this is another one of those things where, like, I feel like this, if this were written today, it mm -hmm. would play out very differently. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the early, late 90s, early 2000s were a much different time. And I'm just thinking, like, like, even the you know, a lot of the discussions now about, um, you know, kind of around victim blaming and, you know, just even like mansplaining, like the, the whole conversation that Warren and Buffy have about like, why did you build this robot in the first place? And he's like, you know, I thought everyone deserved to have someone and that kind of thing. Like, I just felt like so some of the ways that Buffy reacts are a little weird to mm. me and some it, like, 
coming at it from a 20 well 2016 i should say sensibility um and i don't you know not that's not to say that like it's right or wrong or whatever Mm um i just in rewatching it this time it like i i feel like even even since the last time that i've seen this episode i feel like the climate has changed, you know, the and the discussion has changed around not saying not saying that it's necessarily improved a ton, but like at least like there seems to be more conversation around things like how you should treat your partners and right. you know, particularly how, you know, men treat women, you know, for better or worse and often for worse, you know, right. and, and that sort of thing. So I, I don't know. And, and that's not to say like that. I don't still think this is a worthy story to talk about. Like I definitely do. Obviously I just, I feel like there's a lot of things um, in the ways that Buffy acts and responds. Like, I don't feel like if this were written today, that she would be quite so genial and just sort of walking around with him and talking with him quite as, yeah, I quite guess. as much as she does. That's funny. Cause that hadn't really, occurred to me because I kind of feel like um I mean I I think it's pretty clear it was to me when I watched it that like I I think it's safe to say Warren is the monster and the bad guy Mm. like and that he's like nobody ever questions the fact that he's the 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 that April is the victim in this situation of the sure. two of them. Um, and yeah, maybe Buffy is a little bit genial, although I don't know. She pretty much spends her entire time, uh, you know, being disgusted by him. And, you know, yeah. I mean, there is a, there is the sense of we have to work together to stop it. So you have to, tolerate him momentarily because of you know just the business of tracking her down but there's all the little you know snide comments about you know you left her in the room how could you have left like she pretty much criticizes every decision it's not I don't think she approaches it as like oh this is a science project gone wrong (coughs) and we need to like fix it she right, right it seems to me that Buffy is pretty um you know turned off by pretty much everything that Warren does in this situation like he was wrong to make her in the first place he was wrong to you know approach it the way he did and then abandon her and then you know um so I don't know it's it's funny it didn't necessarily jump out to me as being very like dated or anything um Fair, fair enough. And, like, I didn't mean to necessarily imply imply that I think Buffy approves of Warren's right, activities right, right. either. Like, I, 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 I wasn't quite meaning that sort of thing. Um, I guess more what I was trying to think, what I was trying to say was just that, like, that maybe she would have been even more acerbic or something right. like and about maybe, it. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe maybe I'm completely wrong. I that's always a possibility well, <laughs> that I'm willing to admit. Um, we'll never really know. It, but and, no, and again, I mean like, that could be that could definitely be true. Like again, I, I I guess I just feel like it's more. 
the conversation is more prominent and maybe and maybe that's just maybe the fact that it feels tame to me now like i mean maybe that was not at all what it was like like maybe that's part of a result of episodes like this you know right. this one in particular and you know maybe if there were other shows that had some similar you know discussions which yeah. I don't think there were. Like, I mean, I think that's a lot of why Buffy is acclaimed is because it was right, the right. first one talking about some of this type of stuff, at least in in this particular way. Um, you know, just just sort of the fact that this episode aired in, you know, the early 2000s mm -hmm. and now 15 to 16 years later where we're sort of talking about it like, hey, yeah. it seems kind of tame in some ways, you know, compared right. to discussions out, like maybe that's progress, <laughs> even right. if it doesn't right. feel like it, um, you know, from this angle. So I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe I'm off base a little bit or not off base, but like, you know, uh, maybe I'm just sort of looking at it from the least effective angle. But um, anyway, I no, just, and that's definitely could be the case that, you know, uh, these things are so much more in the conversation now that you would have to sort of reframe them a, a little bit or, you know. Um, but I think, like, it. you're right that it does kind of, like, push, you know, the envelope a bit because, um, I mean, it's pretty obvious to see, like, why, you know, Warren is kind of creepy, you know, in, in what he does. But it also kind of like, but I, I think what I like about it is like by putting it next to the Buffy plot of, you know, oh, you know, woe is me, all my boyfriends leave and I'll always be alone. It kind of like critiques, you know, the idea of, you know, from, I guess what is typically more the, the woman's role of being that single-minded, it's my role to please the other person, you know? So it's sure. not only, so it's not only like wrong of Warren to um, kind of mold, you know, a woman to his sort of every whim and make her like kind of his slave basically, but it's, you know, it's wrong of the woman to enable that, I guess. And it like, it holds yeah. that up for critique as well of like, you know, you and and I I don't want to get into the victim blaming because obviously yeah you know that's where it's it's tricky you know um but I think it kind of it opens up that window for Buffy at the end to say you know you know what is the purpose of a relationship you yeah. know is it to it it, it shouldn't be about the relationship for its own sake or, you know, or it's not her part to, you know, go out and, you know, reform herself into the ideal person so that she can attract, you know, somebody who will kind of tolerate her and not leave, you know, that yeah. in order to escape that kind of victimhood, she has to rethink her own role you know and that doesn't mean it's her fault it just means that her expectations at this point aren't necessarily in her own best interest you know 
Right. I, well, is that is that a non-victim blamey way of saying what I'm trying to say? <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna say like I don't I don't I I mean I think we all know that you're not victim blaming that you're not blaming Buffy in any way. Um, no, but it's a fine line between and it, it's a very fine line between saying that you know April and Buffy are you know approaching it the wrong way with saying well they're bringing it on themselves then and those aren't that's not what i'm you know i, I think you know one of the, one of the interesting things about this is that like you you get that obviously you know as a robot april is programmed like literally programmed right. like um <laughs> i like the sort of like the terminator view like a much prettier Terminator view right. of like, you know, the file folders and like all the responses, uh, yeah. you know, that like she could potentially have to different right. situations right. and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and yeah, you get especially that, like but, when it's like Warren and it's like, you know, good dresser and like all the like things that, you know, yeah, the, the kind of things she's programmed to view him in this kind of perfect way. Right. Right, and how to respond, and yeah. but not respond as she wants to respond necessarily, but respond in a way that will please him. Because, right. of course, he's the one who told her how to respond. Literally, he's the one who typed in the commands of, this is how you can respond in a way that yeah. will please me. Right. I think the interesting aspect, you know, where that comes into play is then applying that to Buffy and saying, like, you know a lot of her responses are sort of the social programming responses. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and even with things like, not that I necessarily think that Joyce is wrong either, but like, how do we first see her? You know, she's trying mm -hmm. on a dress, hoping that she'll look pretty for the guy that she's going to go on a first date with. You know what I mean? Right. And right. like, not that that's a bad, that's perfectly fine, but is it, are you trying to look pretty for him? Or are you trying to, feel good about yourself and the way you right. look and right. that kind of, and like, and like you said, like that's a very fine line. And sometimes right. it's not entirely clear if, you know, are we, are we happy because we're pleasing ourselves or are we mm -hmm. happy because we've been programmed to be, you know, to have these certain responses right. that please, that we know will please other people kind right. of thing. Right. And, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe part of the reason why, you might be struggling to sort of find that line between victim blaming and stuff is because it's a very fuzzy line, yeah. you know, in the real world too. Like it's, it's very hard to find that, like, you know, even like to the point where Buffy says, what you programmed her to, you know, be in pain if she, if she can't, if she doesn't like right. respond to you or find you in a reasonable amount of time. It's like, that's insane. That's not just insane. That's like psychopathic. Right. right. And, and that's, you know, but, but those are the cultural responses that we have is that it, you know, I come from, I, and I, I don't know if this is a genetic thing or if it's a social thing, probably like anything, it's a bit of both, mm -hmm. you know, nature versus nurture and all that. Like there's probably a component of each, but like, you know, I come from a family where we're very, uh, you know, we're pleasers. We, we want people to be happy with us and right. you know the things that we do and and so naturally for me like that's one of the things that in my own professional life that I've had to learn how to deal with uh and I know that I'm obviously not the only one you know who mm -hmm. uh you know when 
like it's it's hard for me to say no especially if it's something that i think i know that i can do even if it's not maybe technically my job or whatever like you know i know i can do it and someone's asking me and and okay i'll just go ahead and do it because it makes them happy it's easier or whatever and it's but it's not necessarily the best thing for me to do <laughs> you know what right. i mean like it might help out this other person but does it you know is that something that i should do and then i feel guilty well you know am i being selfish and even thinking that sort of thing you know so yeah. it just it goes around in your head in that sort of way um and that's a lot of you know again it might be part genetic but there's a lot of social programming and that sort of thought yeah and and viewpoint so yeah the one of the lines that really jumped out to me there was you know at the end when Buffy says, um, you know, that she can, she should cry because sometimes that makes you feel better. And, and mm. the, the line about crying is blackmail, good girlfriends don't cry. And it is right. that thing of like, where, you know, whether it's like the robot programming or just social programming, you're, you, you have, you know, kind of told to you what is sort of you're told to suppress your own, you know, natural response to something, you know, in order to mm. not, you know, offend or, you know, confuse or upset or, you know, or whatever, you know, another person, you know, so it's that kind of like suppression of maybe what you would want to do and what your honest reaction, you know, that's the kind of like, double standard there of, you know, crying is blackmail. Well, that presumes that it's an intentional, malicious, manipulative thing, you know? And it kind of presumes that the girl cries in order to, you know, emotionally blackmail, you know, the guy into uh, doing, you know, getting into getting what she wants, which is, you know, quite a presumption. But then the result is to then like, you know, you know, you program April so that, you know, she suppresses that. So now you're kind of like turning that around and manipulating her. Um, yeah. So, which is, you know, obviously pretty hypocritical to say the least. Um, so I do like the way that that, you know, like, and, and that is a, she's programmed to not cry as a robot, but that's, you know, a thing that is very relatable from like the real world perspective too of, you know, suppress your emotional response so as not to, you know, confuse the other person. So that's that kind of like social programming and everything. And I think that's like, that's kind of what it leads Buffy to in the end, I think is it's away from the victim blaming of, you know, she's right now beating up herself as the cause of the collapse of these relationships, you know, like right. it's because of me that Angel and Riley left and these relationships fell apart and everything. And I think the kind of realization at the end and what Xander says and what, you know, it kind of goes around to is, well, no, you live on a hell mouth and, you know, you know, bad things happen here. And it's not anybody's fault. It's not because you didn't respond to the situation correctly, you know, 
Mm -hmm. Um, There is no right or wrong way to respond. It's just who you are and you should sort of, you know, accept that rather than kind of like, you know, like, like, and that's what you kind of see her starting to do with Ben is, you know, what am I going to do to not scare him away? So, you know, uh, you know, she kind of catches herself maybe talking about herself too much and kind of, okay, enough about me. What about you? And you kind of realize she's getting into that, that April thing of how can I manipulate the situation to please him so that he'll come back rather than, you know, run away. Um, Mm. So I kind of like that that's, it comes back around to Buffy, not to kind of, tell her how she's failed, but to kind of show her how thinking it in terms of her own failure is not the right way to think about it. Um, And I like that too, that, you know, even if we kind of wish she would maybe beat up Warren a little bit more or get more on his case, like she does, um, kind of reach an understanding with April that even after they have like the big fist fight and everything, it kind of ends with Buffy consoling her and telling her, you know, it wasn't your fault and, you know, kind of comforting her in her last moments. So it kind of ends up with the women coming together a little bit, which is nice. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I do, like you could view that scene, you know, of them on the swings at the end as sort of cheesy a little bit, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it it reminds me, um, though, of um, uh, the episode "Lie to Me." Uh, you know, mm-hmm. where at the end he's, you know, Giles gives Buffy sort of the "everyone always wins," and you know, right. or you know, or the not everyone. The good yeah. guys always win and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nobody ever dies and that kind of thing. Like there's yeah. very, it has that same kind of feel. It's like that, um, you know, that that feel to it of sort of the gracious lie, right? Like yeah. the, the, the idea that like, <clears throat> you know, it's a lie. I mean, in that case, both Buffy and Giles knew mm-hmm. Giles was lying, but it's what Buffy needed to hear. You know, here... April seems to believe it. So, um, which is kind of ironic given all the things April keeps saying about stop lying. You know, she keeps like telling people you have to stop lying. Um, you know, but her whole kind of existence is a lie really, because it's not genuine. It's programmed and, you know, um, you know, everything about the way she is, is dictated by somebody else, which is, you know, kind of fundamentally dishonest. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, but, but I do like, I do like that scene. I, you know, and I like Buffy's graciousness there, um, you know, and, and sort of her, willingness to sort of you know and again like she she gets it right like like you were saying like it's clearly not april's fault it's 
you know, it's the programming, like Warren's the one who programmed her, who made her, you mm-hmm. know, the way that she is. Like, even though they were just fighting a few minutes ago, like mm-hmm. none of that is, you know, to blame her. Um, so yeah, I do like that. Um, you know, I, I also want to say too, like, I mean, we haven't talked a whole lot about Xander, but like, you know, we get the, like he's the counterpoint, right, to to Warren in this episode because we get, mm. um, you know, the sweetheart sort of nice guy things that he's saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, throughout the episode, um, you know, like when he says, you know, maybe you could just be Buffy. He'll see your amazing heart and he'll fall in love with you, and right. and you know, and then she hugs him in his big puffy suit, and right. he's like, oh well, today's the day you choose to hug me yeah um, but there's but there's also an interesting dynamic going on with him and Anya that I mm-hmm. think is an important counterpoint to Warren and and both the well the woman and the robot that he you know is with yeah in in this episode too because you know there are numerous like I I have to believe that this is an intentional counterpoint, like mm-hmm. that Jane Espenson, as she's writing these scenes is, is intentionally making the comments that Xander is saying about these other women mm-hmm. uh, and being overheard by Anya and Anya kind of providing commentary. Oh, it's okay. I let him do it. Like, right. like there's a very different dynamic between their relationship, obviously, than there is between Warren and April or Warren and Trina. Yeah. Um, you know, insofar as it's like Xander's not shying away from his natural, you know, oh, she's a beautiful woman. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not to say <clears throat> that's not to say that he's not still Xander and puts his foot in his mouth, right, you know, right. every now and then. Like he certainly does do that. Right. Um, right. And he still gets the kind of line about, oh, what guy wouldn't like a sex bot? You know, like so right. you know, there's still right. those little like But you we know, also know that like like that's like he's not gonna create that like he's acknowledging that there's maybe a biological visceral you know appeal to that sort of thing but he's not saying like so therefore let's all go out and build sex bots and treat women this way and program you know these them to do these things like that's not his argument he's he's just saying he's the body right this is this is the body sort of thing that he would he would say and so, you know, he, he goes on and does that. Well, the other thing, too, with them is the ways that Anya is also, like, deliberately parallel to April, too, like, with the way that they speak. You know, there's the yeah. there's more than one line about, um, you know, oh, she speaks with a strange evenness and selects her words a shade too precisely. You know, so they're kind of put, right. you know, parallel to each other. But... For Xander, the way that he's like with April, you kind of feel like, like, like that's if you want to call it like a design flaw, like it's the one bit of her that doesn't, you know, that seems like robotic and unnatural. Whereas, like, you know, for Anya, that's a quirk of who she is. And that's one of the, like, Xander says, some of us like that kind of thing. Like, he's, you know, it's those weird little personal quirks, which are why he like loves her in the first place, you know, right, and right. that again, being the counterpoint to Warren, who 
you know, kind of builds the, the, what he sees as the perfect woman and is bored by her perfection, you know, like Mm. it's the, the lack of that humanity and those little personal quirks, which mean that, you know, she's not really all that attractive to him anyway. Um, Right. You know, which is the kind of flaw in this whole thing of, you know, you can't, there's something, uh, I think fundamental about, you know, the, your inability to build the perfect person because, you know, the perfect person for you is not going to be perfect in the right. sense of always doing what you want and saying just the right thing, you know, because that's not human, you know, and, you know, we've talked about like Anya's humanity, like, yeah, the way she speaks is kind of makes her different. But just the very fact that she has personality quirks at all are kind of the most human thing about her, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and that that's the attraction between her and Xander. Um, you know, he's not interested in a, quote, perfect woman. He's interested in Anya and mm-hmm. what it is that sets her apart. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and then. So we have to talk about the other counterpoint too, which is Spike. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. Who? Uh, a lo- yeah, and a lot of which is sort of by implication. Like we don't see yeah. him that much in yeah. this episode, but yeah. yeah, yeah. But you get the kind of continuation of him, you know, still kind of living in hope and pursuing Buffy, and um, you know, even trying to convince all the others that, you know, maybe he can get back in their good graces, that this was all a misunderstanding. And, you know, Buffy got the wrong idea and, you know, uh, they're obviously not believing it. And, and I like Giles, like very kind of protective, like Giles goes all like big brother on him and like, you know, um, you know, kind of kicks him out basically. But, um, it's an, that's an interesting ending where, oh, you know, talk about creepy. He comes with, you know, the box of all his, you know, stuff from his sort of Buffy shrine and, you know, orders himself, uh, you know, a model of his own. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, can we guess what the model's going to look like? Well, like... yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I think I, I know what the model's going to look like. So, yeah, which is kind of like, I don't know, you know, when that'll pick back up or where that will go, obviously. But, you know, brings up all this kind of idea of like, what does, you know, Spike even see in Buffy to begin with? You know, like, again, if Spike has genuine feelings for Buffy, it's not because she's a perfect girlfriend it's because of all these unpredictable little things which are you know that's why Xander loves Anya that's why Warren fell in love with Katrina is it's that unpredictability and the kind of chemistry of that but you know so it kind of goes against that to then make a you know synthetic copy um like what is it Will it even be Buffy, really? Or will it be a, you know, 
Buffy doll, you know, that kind of looks like her, but, you know, acts like April or something. Um, right. I have a feeling Spike isn't going to be any more satisfied by that than Warren was, you know, with April. Um, but I don't know, unless it's like a purely mean-spirited revenge thing of like, well, you shun me and I'll show you, you know. Um, right. I don't really need you. I just need like a picture of you and I can make my own version of you. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and <laughs> I don't want to speculate too much about no. all of that because we'll we'll see how and whether how that plays out you know yeah. that plays out or if you know something happens in the interim or whatever um but you know definitely like even sort of the oblique way that spike goes right so he he's tried the um you know uh going directly at buffy and sort of giving uh telling her his intentions and feelings right so that didn't work so now it's that you know like even even before he sort of gets cut off in the magic shop he's he starts saying like oh well you might have heard that like something i said may have you know tipped buffy like made buffy think that i was into her kind of thing like it's like dude that's because you basically declared your love to her i mean right it's not like it's not like you you know, said something strangely and it got misinterpreted. Right. There was right. no misinterpreting what you told her, which was that you wanted her and you were willing yeah. to kill, you know, Drusilla for her. Right. <laughs> like, right. like these are things that happened and these are things that you said. This is not like, but you know, that's who Spike is, right? He's, he's manipulative. He's still a vampire. Like, right. Right. We shouldn't forget that even though like he has a chip in his head, he's still able and, you know, yeah. Uh, clearly capable of manipulating people and um no and i definitely i don't know that this is what you're saying but i definitely got the impression that spike's under no illusion as to what happened he just wants to backpedal with everyone else maybe i can convince them that this wasn't as you know uh you know maybe if i can convince them that i didn't really mean it Right. Then they can convince her for me or something like that, you know, and, you know, I mean, to kind of go back to the mansplaining theme, it's that idea of like, well, it's my word against hers and, and I can convince them that I never really said this, that it was all, you know, you know, Buffy was upset or emotional or whatever, and she kind of got the wrong impression. But, you know, I know what really happened and I'll explain it to you. Um, you know, I don't think Spike has any, you know, I think Spike knows perfectly well what happened, but he's trying to pretend that it didn't since it didn't go well. Um, yeah. 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 Spike, Spike just has a tendency to go around doing things the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and getting progressively more messed up you know yeah well like, and it, it it's hard like it's hard to understand is it like is it that is it like is that a result of like 
you know, each thing that he does just sort of naturally leads to him doing what, or is it like, at one point, don't you just say like enough's enough? Like clearly I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I should try a different approach. Like, isn't that they say like, that's the definition of insanity is like doing the same thing and and expecting different results. I I don't know if it's an actual Einstein quote or if it's just one of those like anonymous posts that somehow got attributed to him. But yeah, yeah, that's someone on the internet said this. Um, That's uh, who I've often seen it attributed to is Einstein. But yeah, yeah. Doing the same, you know, doing the same thing over and over, and expecting different results. Um, right. Yeah, right. that's spike all the way, though. I yeah, it's a good, yeah. good point. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I hadn't really <laughs> thought about his stuff as as like another counterpoint because it, it's almost like <laughs> as much as I hate to say it this way, it's like. Warren was successfully successful at like the programming thing, whereas Spike is like the failure at the right. programming thing. Like, you know, if right. if if Xander's the counterpoint, you know, in a uh, positive like, way, yeah, here, yeah, yeah, here's like the positive thing, like how you actually should treat women, even though like he still has his flaws and yeah, messed up ways of maybe saying things sometimes. Like Spike is like, here's how to not treat women and how to fail at not treating <laughs> right. women or right. how to fail at treating women in this way. Yeah. Like, um, you know, so anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of funny, but not fun, funny at the same time. Um, no, no. And it's not for, you know, lack of trying, you know, that he's, you know, failing, that he's certainly pursuing yeah. his goal um well and you see that like he's gotten to the point where like literally no one like even you know um you know again it's like why does he still keep thinking like he's the one who was repeatedly reminding people that he's bad right it's like why do you people still keep coming to me with all this well now that's flipped too right because like he's going to them trying to be like oh i'm your friend and buddy mm-hmm. and now they're saying the exact same thing that he used to be saying to them uh you know you're not we're not your friends and like yeah. you know he gets sort of the menacing and threatening right. uh response from giles and even like don who you know right. they had the right. moment together don's like you know get away from me i have nothing to say to you right um you know so like it, it, this is this is to the point where it's like not even like other people can stand him at this point even though the stuff that he did wasn't directly to them but it was to their friend and and they're saying this is not acceptable be gone you know right um so right and it's kind of ironic that like it's after all like them putting up with him declaring his own like villainy and like trusting him even though he says he's evil it's like when he actually like declares his love that they're like, ew, get out. <laughs> like, you know, you think like this is him trying to convince them that he actually could change and be different. And that to them is the most terrifying idea. Um, because it's not, it's, it's not convincing, you know, like it's, you know, I'm going to prove I love you by, you know, 
killing for you or threatened to have, you know, threatening to have you killed. Like, you know, it, it, it's not exactly, he's not displaying genuine change. Um, mm. Even if he's sort of trying to, or try or imagining that that's what he's doing. Right. Um, so, right. yeah. Yeah, he keeps digging his hole ever deeper. Um, so we'll see where his box ends up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Another important thing I wanted to touch on was um, the continuing confusion of what exactly is Ben and Glory's relationship to each other. Um, you know, because you have the Ben stuff with Buffy, which, um, you know, I think, again, like, shed some light on her dealing with these, you know, kind of, you know, she's getting more and more interested in him, you know, as, you know, a potential boyfriend. But, you know, kind of in the end, it's it's her decision to sort of maybe not go down that road quite yet, that maybe she's not ready for it. But, you know, at the same time, we have all this stuff that we're seeing about how close he is to glory. So, yeah, I still don't know. I don't know what to do other than speculate. We still don't quite know exactly what it means. <laughs> um, we do see them, again, like morph into each other. So it seems that that's like a regular thing. So maybe they do share a body, whatever that means. Um, it occurred to me to wonder whether um, it's like a day night thing, like, because he kind of mm. works night shift at the hospital and then you kind of see her in the morning. But then I thought, I think we've seen Glory at night. So I, I, I'm not yeah, so convinced like with by the, that. Like with the snake episode, she was standing yeah, up there at nighttime. That was actually the part I was thinking of, was when she's like looking out the window and everything. So, but, you know, I'm kind of still kind of, I haven't. Maybe it was her. early evening. Right. It's twilight <laughs> or something. Because um, I still have in the back of my head the thing about Glory being a god. So, you know, I thought, hmm, this could be a like daytime, nighttime gods of, you know, you sure. know that that kind of thing is kind of how the vibe I'm getting um especially because glory has all these like connotations of like you know resplendence and you know I don't know glory sounds like a kind of daytime name to me mm. um but I don't know I'm I think we have seen glory at night so I'm not so much convinced by that but um, they still don't know. They, it definitely seems like they don't, you know, know what the other one does, you know, while they're kind of, you know, not there. So yeah. it's sort of news to glory that, you know, uh, Ben is arranging a date with the Slayer. Um, and, you know, trying to figure out what that means. He's planning something. He's working against me. Um. And then she's disappointed to get <laughs> rejected by the Slayer, too. Um, 
But I don't know. And and I don't know what to make of Ben, because on the one hand, it seemed like he was trying to protect Buffy and Dawn. But on the other hand, you know, you'd think if he was protecting them from himself, then he wouldn't be accepting invitations to coffee dates and things like that. So what exactly his motivation is, I still don't know. Yeah. That's all I have. Yeah. <laughs> and we do see him in the dress too. So you get like right. that like they do kind of share a persona and they well, and they whenever they kind of come in, they come in in the state of wherever the the last one was. So they're sort of, you know, surprised and, to find themselves wherever they are. And so even like even thinking about last <laughs> time where when um you know, we saw Ben with Dawn and sort of the morph morphing into glory there. Yeah. Um, and she was wearing his scrubs and remember was yeah. complaining about like the cat yeah. and stuff like that. Right. So like, this is like the reverse, the know, reverse of that. Of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, obviously I know what yeah. the relationship and stuff is there. So it's, it's interesting to me to see you sort of struggle with it um and try to and work through it fight the impulse to sort of explain things um so mm -hmm. i will try not to say yeah too much um you know about it i, I it's not a night and day thing i'll say that mm -hmm. much okay um only because you pretty much already figured that out. I talked that. myself out of it like i'll, I'll confirm that yeah. um for you yeah. that it that it's not but there is there does seem to be a sort of trigger mm. or at least um, like it, it's not, it's not random. Per se. Right. Right. Um, There's a reason why the change happens when it happens. Yeah. Um, um, and, and like even, you know, even like as far as like their corporeal forms or whatever you want to call it. Um, mm -hmm. There's, like there's even that like we've gotten glory in the past like saying things like you know well of course he's handsome and it and right. or like even after listening to the um you know phone message that buffy leaves uh you know she's like you know what she rejected us right, like right. you know there is that sense where like she even f seems to have made comments to the fact that they're like tied together somehow right you know in right. in like more than just a you know right uh like again i don't know i don't want to spoil anything but like just like it's more than just like they're good friends right <laughs> or or even right more, right she says family. like she like, turned us down like like a turning ben down is the same thing as turning glory down that right. they are like the, you know, yeah, united somehow, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an e equality between them, and so right. But <clears throat> also, not because apparently Ben can work against her, so they don't, you know, right. They don't, they don't share, you know, uh, motivations necessarily. Um, and and she's surprised by the fact that like Ben and Buffy were going to be on a date, so like she right. clearly didn't know what ben was doing right right 
during the time when she wasn't present in whatever way. Um, and Ben doesn't seem to know what Glory is doing, right. you know, from time to time either. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, you also wanted to talk about, I believe, well, I mean, and anything else before we talk about the last, like, minute? The or ending. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think let's talk about it. Um, wow. You know, that's yeah. kind of a shocking ending. Um, well, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean it, it comes it comes out of the blue, and you know, in retrospect, you see the misdirection because they've had Joyce getting healthier, and then this episode, it's all like, you know, she's back on her feet, going out for a date, looking really good and excited, and all these things. So you're sort of, you know, you're being lulled into this false sense of security, you know, um, which in hindsight, I can kind of see that more clearly um you know and again with the parallels um i like the kind of double duty that april's you know uh dialogue does at the end um mm. again hollow though it may be all her stuff about you know when things are sad you just have to be patient because every cloud has a silver lining and when life gives you lemons you make lemonade um so all this kind of setup of you know preparing you for the idea of sad things happening and you know and the difficulty of the reason we have sayings like that is to remind you that when sad things happen it's not you know there is a silver lining there's more you know mm. obviously that's a tough thing to realize where Buffy is at the moment you know but I feel like it's kind of setting you up for that of, okay, we're going into like a dark period. Um, and also the, her last line about things are always darkest before, and then she doesn't finish the sentence, you know, darkest before the dawn, I think would be how I would finish the sentence. And sure. so that reminds me of all those little oblique references to dawn that we got before she turned up, mm. you know, like the ones with faith and everything where they, yep. you know, it's sort of like, hmm, all right. So <clears throat> what does Dawn have to do with this dark period, I guess, is kind of a question that I have. Um, yeah. You know, because it seems like this has got to be the darkest point, you know. This is like the worst thing you can imagine happening, you know. Um, right. For Buffy, at least. Um, yeah. I mean, like, nobody wants to see their parent die, right? Like, right. I mean, that's obviously true. Well, I guess maybe that's not 100% true. There might be people out there who do. But, you know, like, generally speaking, like, yeah. we, we know that this is <clears throat> clearly not. But, yeah, I mean, Buffy and her mom have a great relationship. And... Even thinking about, you know, the fact that, like, Dawn's only been here since the beginning of this season, right? Yeah. Like, there's that knowledge there. Even though it feels like Dawn's been there longer, there's that knowledge that, like, 
it was just Buffy and her mom, you know, for several years anyway, you know, after they moved to Sunnydale and, and that, you know, they've been through a lot together and they, and they have always had a relationship, not just of mother and daughter, but of friends too, you know, even, even though they didn't necessarily always agree or whatever, but, um, well, and, and in particular to their situation, like the, you know, the loneliness of that idea of like, especially watching it a second time with all of the stuff about Buffy kind of coming to terms with being okay, being on her own. That felt really painful in retrospect to listen to her say, cause that's not what she means. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't mean she wants to be alone in the world. She's talking about, she doesn't need to be in a, romantic relationship at that right. moment but that doesn't mean that she doesn't need support or other people so you know again with the parallels that kind of feels like you're leading up to this this notion of loneliness and for her to be like you know I mean the dad has not been in the picture for pretty much the whole show so you know right to, to lead up to one Buffy, or two random right scenes right yeah i almost said episodes like that even episodes right right yeah so kind of this idea of like her being like kind of and she's still young you know like still in college you know not you know fully kind of independent and adult yet you know kind of leading up to her being effectively like orphaned by the end of the episode you know of you know she's now like you know, much as Buffy is like kind of in some ways the most capable because of, you know, the protector of the family because of her supernatural abilities, she still, you know, relies on her mom, you know, for support and guidance and advice. And then to kind of just suddenly say, that's the horrific idea is that that can go away suddenly. And now you're on your own. Um, you know, not to mention just the kind of being blindsided by it of, you know, you, you get, you get used to the, you, you know, again, you're kind of, you know, I guess manipulated into thinking Joyce is going to be okay, that she had this health problem, but it's getting better. So to then be the kind of, it's that sudden death of you're denied any time to say goodbye or make your peace with the idea or you know or mourn or anything it's just uh you know sudden and sort of untimely and not because of glory or you know a vampire but just you know well yeah i mean even going back to when you know, the episode where Buffy found out that Dawn wasn't human, right? Like she, had, she, there was that spell and like she looked at her mother and there was nothing supernatural there. Right, Like right. it was, it was completely, right. uh, you know, physical or whatever. Right, um, right. There was a natural explanation. That's not to say that we should jump to conclusions here necessarily. We don't know well, why she's true. dead. So I, I just want to 
be careful about making any particular attribution at this point. But, um, but you're right. Like, I mean, at least of what we know, like we know that these medical problems were happening and that they were natural. They weren't right, right. supernatural. So, I mean, that's, that's a fair assumption. I'm just. Right. And, and I'm realizing now I did kind of assume that, but, but you're right. I mean, who's to say glory wasn't behind it. I guess we, we don't really know what happened yet. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. And it, you know, it was shot in such a just creepy way where, you know, the way you can kind of see her in the background, sort of out of focus behind Buffy, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and the repetition, you know, yeah. mom, yeah. mom, mommy at the yeah. end is yeah. always. Yeah. Well, um, and very and unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. I won't say anything more. Oh, wait, you're going to say something, but Well, I was just going to I was just going to point out to the order, right? So I mean, that's that's the final scene, so that's coming after Glory listens to the message from Buffy too. Right. Right. Um Not that I'm trying to imply anything. I'm right, just Right. Right. Pointing out Yeah. You know, Train, trails of events. Right, right. Um, but anyway, we should probably move on. Okay. To Doctor Who. Yeah. To the girl who died. Now, my yeah. first thought when I uh, <clears throat> saw the title. Yeah. Um, and I only thought this because I very recently read Harry Potter. Ah. Is the boy who lived. Right. <laughs> is the. Yeah chapter title right um, right the the open is it the opening chapter i think it is of of the first book i believe yes uh-huh um and so again i would not have picked that up had i not read it that recently but right um, right i was i don't know if there's any connection there but um just sort of the well i'll i'll i think that's a good connection and i'll say that the next episode uh of which this is a two-parter although i will say it's not quite your traditional two-parter but right. the the kind of echo of the next episode in the title is it's called the woman who lived so okay. um you know you put them together yeah i think it's hard not to get like a harry potter kind of resonance to it um and that idea of like maybe it's just that idea of like the the special chosen child you know who you know sure um who is sort of unique and heroic amongst their own people um and you know even though well, yeah even though a shielder dies she also lives in the end so it's a little bit of like a fake out there um right you know there's that is kind of a, a, a misdirect. The title is misleading you from where the plot is going. Well, she, right. She died. But just like you were saying, even yeah. for Buffy, like just because someone dies doesn't necessarily mean we're done with them. It's right, not the first right. time we would have seen people come back. Right. right. Um, so yeah. um, I wanted to start out, though, talking um, 
more about the framing conversations that uh-huh. the doctor and Clara have. Um, you know, there's there's the sort of standard intro right before the opening title scene. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's the uh, closing conversation they have um, just before we kind of get that last kind of weird sort of panoramic fly or, yeah. you know, whatever, like the, the fly around of um, the shoulder there, um, which is a little bizarre, but I, I yeah, that feels can, kind of like weirdly lyrical in a way that doesn't necessarily feel normal for the show. Yeah, well, and maybe we can <clears throat> talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know if we, I don't necessarily want to talk about it right this minute, but um, it is kind of a weird thing that happens there. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about the framing conversations because. We start off, I mean, there's the whole, like, Clara's in space and, like, is describing, you know, apparently seeing a particular color nebula tells the doctor exactly where Where she is. Where she is, yeah, yeah. Kind of funny. But uh, that reminds me, so there's a story that, like, a friend of mine tells of uh, when we were in college, him and uh, two of my friends went with these two girls that we knew they went to the same school as us um back to one of the girls houses she lived out in the boonies here Mm. in upstate new york where we live and it was like like in giving directions on where to go like i don't think they were with it like i think they were in separate cars or something but like they gave them directions in case they got like lost or something and it was like one of those things where it's like oh yeah you know turn at the tree that got burned down like five years ago kind of, it's like wait, <laughs> yeah. how am i supposed to know where that is like yeah. really like come on the <laughs> so, least anyway. helpful directions yeah <laughs> so it just sort of reminded me of that sort of right, thing. right. Like, oh the blue nebula okay yeah. like there's probably not millions of those in the galaxy um, right right or in the universe or whatever uh but <laughs> anyway so um ignoring like that whole part which just, yeah you know it's kind of fun and there's some you know, like the whole idea of like, what is it, a love sprite or whatever? It's right, called. right. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Well, that's why they call it that. Uh, <laughs> but the conversation really around um, initially sort of like around time and the rules of time travel. And then um, it sort of shifts a bit at the end to more around immortality, but also mm-hmm. still kind of about the rules of time travel. Like, right, you know, right. what what are what are the rules and what does it mean to be a time traveler, um, especially one who lives through, you know, all these other people, because in a way, simply being a time travel is a form of immortality. Like we don't, we know that the doctor's talking about long life versus the ability to go anywhere in time. But like, if you can go anywhere in time, then you can outlive anyone that you happen to know because you can jump, to some point beyond where they're alive. Yeah. So yeah. there is a, even if technically your subjective life isn't immortal, there's still a sort of immortality in that idea of time travel. So I think sure. the two conversations are very tied together. Um, yeah. So Clara says, you know, uh, in the beginning portion there, she says, you're always talking to, you're always talking about what you can do and, about what you can and can't do, but you never tell me the rules. And he doesn't really give her rules, but he sort of gives her guidelines. Like right, he right. says, "We're we're time travelers. We tread softly. 
it's okay to make ripples, but not tidal waves. Um, and then, of course, at the end, he's like, uh-oh, I think I might have made a title. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You sort of know that's coming. Yeah, yeah, As soon as he's saying, like, we can't do this. We can't because, do this. Because, Therefore, of course, with any yeah. rule that the doctor yeah. has, like, yeah. that's why we have rules is to break that. It's right? made to like, be broken, yeah. Isn't, yeah. isn't that the whole point of rules? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's not quite, you know, Dr. Triumphant, you know, right, or anything right. like that. Or Dr. Victorious or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it is, there. there is a sort of a sense of, like, it's okay to jaywalk. Just yeah. don't do it across, like, you know, an eight-lane highway. Right, right. Uh, you know, like, we can, we can, we can do things here and there. Um, it's interesting, too, how we've gotten away from sort of the idea of fixed points in yeah. time. Like, he, yeah. he's not saying it's okay to make ripples, except, you know, every now and then we run across, like, this thing that we can't really budge. But, right. you know, other times we can... Right. Like, he doesn't say that. It just says we can't make tidal waves. Um, right. I'm also thinking of tidal wave in, you know, the dam blowing up and flooding everything. You sure, know, and, like, sure. The last, like, yeah. you know, that... Obviously, that's a more literal interpretation, perhaps, but... There's there's this idea of like that clearly changed. Now, all right, it was a fake town that got buried. Like, we're you right. know, no people died. One alien died, but no people died because of that per se. Right. Um. But yeah, there is, but but there's that meddling kind of. Yeah, you there know. is there yeah. is that sense that like, I mean. <clears throat> How many times has he, you know, saved everybody on Earth? And and so, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't, like, the, this is what he tells Clara, right? But, like, there's a sort, there's, there's got to be a sort of cognitive dissonance that he's ignoring, sure. <laughs> you know, in, sure. in saying this kind of thing. Because we've seen how many times where he's he's gone to the end of time and like right. save the entire universe from reality bombs and right. you know like are these not tight like are these ripples right <laughs> like right some well, pretty darn big yeah, ripples yeah that we're you're like, talking about <laughs> or like reversing the time war like you know you'd think that yeah. should qualify um yeah and i think that's kind of what clara gets at when she says you are a tidal wave like Really, like pretty much everything you do has must have, you know, these kind of far reaching consequences, you would think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he kind of answers it, but you're right. He dodges the question insofar as we still don't understand what distinguishes like a ripple from a tidal wave. Yeah. Um, right. And is it. Like, is it more of a snowball effect? Like, right, right. like it seems like a ripple now, but then will grow into a tidal wave? Or like, you know, um, tsunamis when they form, like due to earthquakes right. or volcanoes or whatever, like they form under the ocean. So you don't see them, you know, partly because they're so massive that like the the waveform is spread out over like miles. So you know, you don't actually see it until it's like, <clears throat> almost approaching land and then suddenly it becomes this like huge right wave or whatever you know is is that the sort of thing is it like okay you've done this thing that set stuff in motion but 
like there's so much other stuff happening around that you're not actually going to see it until suddenly one day boom yeah it hits and that's that's the problem like that's where you realize oh that was a tidal wave right right <laughs> my, and maybe my bad <laughs> and maybe that is the answer that for all his kind of like oh i know the rules maybe the doctor himself doesn't always know what will be a ripple and what will turn into you know yeah. or a tidal i wave, mean you know um, it, it's one thing to know the rule. Like I, I know the rules to Monopoly. That doesn't mean I know how the game's going to play out. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. there's still elements of chance and yeah, you know, people's attitudes and you know, people making rational decisions that I didn't foresee or making irrational decisions that nobody could have foreseen. Right. Right. You know, like right. there, there's just you, you know there are these there are effects <laughs> of what you do that aren't that maybe in the strictest sense are mm -hmm. the result of you doing them, but aren't necessarily caused by you doing them. If that makes any sense, like yeah. that, that there's, that there's a difference between, you know, like, okay, I didn't pay my bill on time, but does that mean like nothing happens? Does it mean I get a $5 late fee? Does it mean I get thrown in jail because I've, you know, not, paid up my obligations you know like like there are many potential outcomes to right. one particular action that it, it doesn't necessarily mean all or any of those are your fault it just means that these are the things that resulted you right. know one right. from another you you can you can see the chain after it happens that doesn't necessarily mean and you can understand why that chain of events occurred that doesn't necessarily mean you can predict it right um, and that seems like things. the inherent thing with you know, the doctor being in like, you know, I, it, when he has his uh, sort of revelation of his face, you know what that means, mm. um, which we can talk about in more detail. But, yeah. you know, the one thing, his realization, his kind of epiphany of the thing that he's supposed to remember is that I'm the doctor and I save people. But the inherent, you know, consequence of that is that it's the saving of people which creates that unpredictability because when so, you save people, they then, like you said, go on to continue to make decisions of their own. Um, and, you know, they're going to right. react in a certain way and they're going to change history in whatever way, you know, they happen to do in, in ways that you can't have predicted. So, you know, there's something about the the saving people thing, which maybe is kind of related to the causing of the tidal waves, um, especially with, you know, maybe that's what makes a shielder, you know, a tidal wave rather than a ripple is when he brings her back, the, the, the extraordinarily long lived life that he gives her. So she mm. will presumably have an impact beyond her own, you know, normal, natural timeline, you know, um, sure. you know, she's not, maybe if you brought her back to life and she lived, you know, a, you know, respectable 80 years, she would change things to a certain extent. But if you bring back somebody forever, you know, the consequences are obviously going to be that much greater. Um, yeah. So it kind of does seem the tidal wave thing, as much as he kind of says that's to be avoided, it seems like 
by being who he is and being the doctor who saves people, he's sort of in the tidal wave making business really. Um, sure. Which is, I think probably if we go back to the beginning of the series, the inherent contradiction between the doctor and kind of the time Lords of like, you know, they stand for this kind of, uh, you know, rigid, um, non-interference policy of history and the doctor being the kind of chaotic rebel who, you know, abandons that idea to, to do his own thing. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, I mean, one of the other things that I find interesting though, too, is that like, okay, he talks about not making tidal waves, but it's okay to make ripples is his hesitance then to save a village over saving all of humanity. Like he, he actually makes the argument that like, well, the, the earth is safe. Humanity is not in danger. This is just one village. If I save this one village, that might put the earth in danger. Right. But it's like, well, but saving the village seems like a ripple versus like saving the entire earth and all of mm -hmm. humanity seems like, something bigger than a ripple right, <laughs> like right. like which of these things seems like more of a title so i i mean maybe maybe that's one of those things where it's again maybe it's more of the snowball effect like right you know this little pebble can cause a huge avalanche you know if thrown in the right way and and to the right pile of snow right. you know but for some reason like it's okay to save people if it's the entire earth that's in danger that's a different thing i don't i don't know like that it, it seems weird to me that that's sort of his argument that like it would be okay to save all of humanity if the earth was in danger but not not one particular village well and i think the other flip side of it too is it's the the bootstrap paradox of like you end up causing you know your own past and your own consequences like mm. there's a consequence loop there of it's it's he he's reluctant to save the village for fear of endangering the earth so you know uh it's it's that unpredictability of what if i you know i see a potential for causing the very thing i'm trying to avoid um sure which is i think where like the waters of Mars comes in of like, you know, you try to be Time Lord victorious and you'll find yourself responsible for more death than, you know, you know, the, if you save lives by being a dictator, you know, it's not too long before you're going to be causing the deaths instead of saving the lives, you know, mm. if that's yeah. the kind of danger there, you know, of like overreaching, you know, um, which I think is interesting then that they do use um, the the fires of Pompeii, you know, which, you know, was always the kind of setup for the waters of Mars. Like the waters of Mars is what happens when you don't have Donna there to kind of hold you to the mark, as he says. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the fires of Pompeii, you know, it's, it's, it's Donna saying, you know, be a doctor, 
like Clara says, save one person, you know, even if you can't save everybody, you know, sure. It, it's your duty to save someone. Um, you know, although again, yeah. you know, how do you do that without overreaching? Because he sort of follows that advice and then, you know, maybe gets a little overzealous with it, but, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I want to, I want to point that out because I do like that they kind of go back to the, the scene with the doctor and Donna in the fires of Pompeii. Like that's a, the mystery of the face is like, you know, what exactly it symbolizes to him is like been kind of teased for a while, but I like that they, they pick a, you know, a moment that kind of means something larger for like the continuing mythology and everything of like that as a moment of, you know, you, that was, you know, that's maybe the episode that's the most about like fixed points and the rules and what you can right. and can't do. And about the doctor being at his most rigidly unwilling to break the rules. Um, and it's Donna, you know, right pulling him back from that a bit and saying, you know, you're not the time Lord who just sits there and watches everybody die. You're the one who goes in and tries to save somebody. So, you know, of all the moments they kind of, you know, that kind of helps make sense a bit of why Capaldi is, you know, you know, the face, why that is important. And it kind of means something to the larger arc, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And, you know, of course, his comment at the end there of just possibly I've made a terrible mistake, maybe even a tidal wave. The, the question seems to be, or that statement, I mean, seems to be about a shoulder and, you know, what he's just done. Uh -huh. But he could be talking about anything like any I mean, number of mistakes he, he, yeah. he's yeah. Re, like you, you know he's remembering the yeah. fires of pompeii like maybe he's talking about like maybe this tidal wave goes way back further than we're even thinking of now like sure sure it doesn't necessarily have to be that he just made the mistake he doesn't say maybe i made a mistake just now when i gave the shoulder this right. you know contraption to keep her alive yeah he just says, I may, I have made a terrible mistake, maybe even a title way. <laughs> like, yeah. there's this idea that maybe it's not something recent, that it's been, that it's taken a while to form and for us to see. Um, so, sure. Yeah. Um, also, sure. So, sorry, go ahead. Do you have anything? Well, like, and I was going to say, like, to kind of, I'm not saying whether that's, uh, will be followed up or, you know, to what extent that's validated. But I'd also throw in, you know, the implicit um, presence of Donna in that too, you know, of, you know, not necessarily um, about any one thing in particular, but just, you know, having that character kind of in the air of, you know, I think he's made... It, you, 
he's made any number of mistakes that have resulted in tidal waves. And so you have to mm. kind of be thinking about, um, you know, I think the Donna story a little bit there as well. Um, so, you know. Sure. Anyway, what were you starting to? Yeah, I was, so I was going to go on um, and talk to about sort of the ending um, part of the frame um, with the immortality because um, so he gives the shoulder this uh, device or whatever that's going to continue. Basically, it sounds like it's, you know, it's sort of like an elvish immortality right where it's like she could be killed but mm -hmm. like you know barring sort of an accident or you know assassination right you know she's gonna she's never gonna die of like natural causes right right um right and maybe even it would have to be a pretty severe accident because he kind of talks about how it 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 will continue repairing her so like you know it would have to be a you know right like she gets blown to bits or it, something. Yeah, like, like something yeah. very, you know, severe would have to happen. Yeah. Um, um, so, which sounds awful, Captain Jack, to me. Um, yeah, yeah. I hadn't heard that he came back to the show. So. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, yeah. She wasn't, she, she didn't say anything about bow um anyway uh yeah so the you know but this idea that um you know uh, just uh, the idea uh, well several ideas so one dying is an ability like uh. that's an interesting way to put it because like the doctor could die like mm -hmm. it's not like he's incapable of dying mm -hmm. um at least that I know of. Like, we've been in situations where he certainly has thought that he was going to die before. Right, right. On the other hand, he's never actually died that we know of. Right. We do see the tomb of Trenzalore. Um, right. Which seems to be the place where he dies. But then, like... Right. But then that maybe changes. that got changed. Right. Right. So... So we don't actually know if that actually came to pass. Right. And um, well, you brought up the, I hadn't thought about this before. You brought up the, the elvish thing of, of long life. We, I don't even really know, you know, what are the metaphysics of time or death? Could it be like, you know, in Tolkien's mythology, yes, elves die sort of, but their spirit or consciousness doesn't really go into the afterlife. It remains, you know, sort of tied to the, the natural world and they, you know, get reincarnated, you know, after a certain amount. Like, I'm not saying that's what it is with Time Lords, but maybe Time Lords, do we even know that Time Lord death is the same as human death? You know? Um, sure. I'm just... <laughs> I mean, we I'm, don't even know what human death is, so like... <laughs> this is a good point, Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, it, it could be that there's a distinction between like, you know, utter true death and, you know, whatever it is that happens when 
time lords die or or immortals or whatever um yeah and the fact that we don't really know what happens when anybody dies is another good point um yeah and and ability so that not only sounds like you know a physical like ability but also again in a very tolkien way sort of like a privilege you know like there's something about like it, which gift. is a gift even. <laughs> um, so, you know, that it has that kind of sense to me of almost kind of wistful envy a little bit, you yeah. know, of like, you know, uh, gosh, you know, these lucky people and their supernatural ability to die that the rest of us can only dream of. Like it has that kind of quality to me. Sure. Um, Sure. And well, and yeah, I mean, when you were talking about like, you know, <clears throat> do, do time lords like stick around in some way? It's like, you know, I had this mental image of like, you know, a force ghost, you know, time lord <laughs> thing. Like, yeah. you know, is this, is this like Obi-Wan coming back? And, right, right. Um, you know, sort of shimmering. Uh, right. Whatever. Um, yeah, no, we don't, we don't know. But yeah, just that idea of like, that dying isn't like you obviously we don't think like most people don't want to die um, right. or at least you know until they're close to being ready mm -hmm. um the way he talks about it though like i think you're right there is this sort of wistfulness there almost like like maybe he's not entirely control in control over the regeneration that like mm. maybe he has some control over how and when he regenerates, mm -hmm. but that maybe like, and, and is this a new thing? Like, is this with the current regeneration? Because there, right. you know, there was that magic number and then he got sort of like the reset from, right, right. from the, the time Lords. Like, was this like a mega reset? Is this like, okay, you'll re just keep regen regenerating like forever. Does, does then, you know, his, abil his ability to regenerate now, is that very much like the technology that he gave to his shoulder? And right, it right. just continues remaking him for eternity. Like he right. doesn't, there is no end to it. Right. Has which, he, he, maybe he lost the ability to die. Yeah. You know? Which, which becomes like a literal eternity then, because it's not even like he'll just live out his years until the universe is destroyed. He's a time traveler. <laughs> he just right. go back to the beginning again. Right. Right. You know, like, like he'll just keep going around in time. Yeah. Like not just forever, but beyond forever. Because yeah. Yeah. Time will eventually end, but he won't, which right. is a weird concept to sort of think about. Right, but, um, right. and, you know, and what are sort of theological implications for people who believe in, you know, various implications of a God outside of time and space right. kind of thing too. Right. But anyway, right. um, we don't need to go down <laughs> that road. Uh, at least not. Well, he now. does, he does say he's Odin. So, you know, <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. <laughs> So we have the kind of God parallels, um, yeah. you know, kind of swirling around the episode a little bit. But then, of course, so the idea of dying being an ability, like there's there's the other side of it, too. Right. Is that immortality isn't 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 living forever. 
that's not what it feels like. Immortality is everybody else dying. Mm. And so, you know, again, we get a, a whiff of wistfulness yeah. in that, um, you know, statement. And, and immortality is everybody else dying. Almost like, but I can't. Yeah. Or I won't. Or, you know, something along those lines. Like that there's this this sense of, you know, yes, you define immortality as, you know, being able to like hop in the TARDIS and run around forever. But uh, the way he describes it, um, uh, oh, I must, I saved it in a different spot. Um, you know, he says to Clara, you know, look at you with your eyes and you're never giving up and your anger and your kindness. One day, the memory of that will hurt so much that I won't be able to breathe and I'll do what I always do. I'll get in my box and I'll run and run in case all the pain ever catches up and every place I go, it will be there. So there's a sense that like the immortality is watching other people die and the running is the attempt to get away from that or mm -hmm. the memory of those things. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not what we think of. We think of immortality, you know, you're immortal, you can go wherever you want, whenever you want, and it's great and carefree, and, you know, isn't it nice to run off with the doctor? Right. But, but after that honeymoon period, <laughs> right. there's this other part of it where it's like, actually, the running... Like, I'm not running to run. Like, I'm not running to see things. Well, yes, I'm kind of running to see things. But I'm actually running away from things. I'm not yeah. running to stuff. I'm running away from stuff. Um, and what is that stuff? It's the memories. It's the things that, you know, the ripples and the tidal waves that right. I've made that have cost people their lives. Um, yeah, and and, yeah, you think of... You think of immortality or, or long life as a kind of uh, escape from the pain of death. But the kind of other perspective is that, you know, you, if, if dying is an ability and a gift and a privilege, you're, you're trading one sort of pain for another. Because I guess, you know, if, you, if you're immortal or you go in the TARDIS or you live outside of time, you're no longer in time and now you're kind of fundamentally cut off from all the people who are still within it so you know yeah it sounds great to never die except what if everybody else you know does die you know um the flip side of uh you know you think of immortality as a long life and an escape from you know, the pain of, you know, sickness and death and all these things. But, you know, by trading that in, you're trading it for, you know, something else because it's, you know, immortality is great, except if you're the only one, you know, like by kind of removing yourself from time, you kind of are removing yourself from you know, the other people who still sort of live within time and live according to its rules and laws and everything. Um, you know, and you, so you think about, uh, 
a shielder talking about how um, it's, you know, her kind of love for her place and her people, um, you know, and so when, you know, and what's the doctor's promise to her at one point is, you know, a shielder, you know, I promise you'll never have to leave this place, you know, which kind of sounds ironic in retrospect in the sense of like, you will never be allowed to leave. <laughs> like I will make it so that you will live forever and never have to leave, you know, the world, except that the world continues to change and move on and die around her, you know, like, you know, she's talking about the love of her people. Well, she will presumably outlive them all um, and outlive the place that she loves. So that being, you know, the thing you think of as blessing, you know, being maybe, you know, a blessing from one perspective, but something of a curse from the other. Um, yeah. Which so to so. well to bring up the um okay two things so to that i just thought of to bring up the kind of ending shot um yeah you know which i think we should talk about um that to me is kind of how you know it is a weird shot but it, it seems like maybe because it's more kind of like metaphorical than we're used to that like it seems like this is a you know kind of lyrical representation of you know a shielder's experience of you know kind of like blink like in the blink of an eye you see like eons pass and you know her she, the way she looks like she starts out very sort of young and you know hopeful and and happy and all these things and by the end, you know, by the time the camera circles around, um, you know, it's her face has kind of hardened to this, you know, very kind of severe, you know, grim looking, you know, uh, expression at the end. Um, you know, I think that's kind of, I don't know if you had other thoughts about what that final shot might be getting at, but that's kind of how I interpreted it was her sort of gradual realization of what immortality means as the doctor sort of described it. Yeah, no, I definitely get that, that sense of this is, this is her through the passage of time staying the same while everything changes and dies and mm -hmm. um, goes around her. But also just even like, while we've been talking about this, so like there's, the doctor is right, obviously, that there is, you know, death and whatever. Um, yeah. But of course, what's the big flaw in this philosophy? It's that there's also life, right? Yeah. Like, it's not just that seasons come and go and, you know, trees die and mm -hmm. rain falls and all that. Like... The sun comes out, new trees are born, you know, right. there's there's new stuff as well. And and I mean, I'm not immortal, so I guess I don't necessarily know how it feels. But, mm -hmm. you know, there is that sense of like. You're only seeing one side of the coin here, 
and it's you know the pessimistic side um that yes people die and go away and you know you may carry that wherever you go like the doctor mm-hmm. says you know it'll be there waiting for me um but at the same time there are like the doctor finds new companions right like he you know he i don't think he's forgotten about amy and rory and donna right. and you know everyone else who he's traveled with but he did find a new person in clara mm-hmm. and he you know will probably find someone after clara and right. you know after right. that person and after that person and so on and so forth so it's that i don't i'm not i don't mean to intend that that should take away the pain of losing Mm -hmm. people but there's there is also a sense that it's not just loss yes the loss is there and the loss is real and it it doesn't go away but it's not only that and that that's the thing that i feel like gets missed in these sort of Mm -hmm. conversations is that you know, there's always opportunity for new life. Right. And I don't, maybe you sort of already told me what the title of the next episode is. So like, maybe that's the point of the next episode and maybe we'll have more information to talk about, you know, then in that regard. But I do, I do want to sort of point out that like, this does feel like half the conversation. Right. Like it, it doesn't, and perhaps rightfully so, since it's, the first of a two-part story mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or the first of two related stories anyway. So, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's another side here to look at, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I was just thinking about that as you were talking this, this last mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah. I don't have a ton to say about the Meyer. Um, sure. Sure. It, you know, it is funny that, like, the doctor's trying to, like, imitate Odin, you know, yeah. with the yo-yo or whatever. And then Odin you get this, up. you know, you get this, this, not even really a human. It's like, he's got this, uh, you know, holographic face on and, and you know, yeah. sort of proclaiming to be Odin in a much more, you know, obviously still fake, but a much more technologically believable right, right. way. <laughs> right. But but still still kind of silly too. Like, um, it's hard not to think of Monty Python and the Holy Grail when <laughs> yeah. he's up in the clouds and it's yeah. like, you know, what are you doing? Groveling Lord, well knock it off. You know, it's all that like I if that feels like a visual reference to that. You know, like so even in yes, he's more uh, technologically grand than the doctor with his yo-yo there's still something uh kind of ridiculous about him in the same way oh, yeah. um you know yeah. yeah and i don't have a ton to say about the Meyer either i kind of like the way they work with the vikings mythology of like you know that it's a it's a a, a you know a privilege to be chosen for valhalla you know sure. this kind of honor in a good fighting death you know um you know and that you know the 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 fittest and the strongest are chosen and you know the weak are left behind like you know i like the way that that works with the viking ethos i guess um yeah but well, and, you know and the idea that 
that the Meyer are going after testosterone. And of course, you know, the people who are the biggest warriors and fighters are going to be the ones who have the most testosterone. Right, right. Um, Yeah, so I don't, I mean, I like, I like the thematically, I like the way that works. But I mean, they're the, the device to kind of be the, the conflict in the episode. I don't think there's um, a huge amount to say about them. Um, I mean, apart from like the, the resolution of the ending of the fact that in the end, it's not uh, the warriors that defeat them. It's not, you know, swords and battle and everything. It's a, it's trickery, you know, it's the doctor's, in that way, I feel like the doctor is more Loki than Odin, that he's like, you know, although Odin kind of was a bit of a trickster too, but it's not like, you know, this isn't, the doctor doesn't stand in for Thor, you know, it's like, how do we get, how do we get, defeat the bad guys? It's by, you know, tricking them into looking foolish. And, and the way that, uh, that works with the shielder as this storyteller who can, you know, imagine things that, you know, then come true. Um, and that being what defeats them, that their their story and their reputation is ruined. And so, you know, yeah. that's the well, thing that you can hold over their heads is humiliation. Um, yeah. And it's, it's not just trickery, but it's trickery on trickery, right? Like with... And, does does he actually record it? Like, do we actually see a recording device? I can't remember. Yeah, it's Clara again with the with the like iPhone. They they oh right right they right. Have the cell okay. phone. Okay. I, so I'm they like, have yeah they have footage of them running away from like a wooden dragon. That's um, right. That's right. Yeah. I could. I for a minute there, I was like, wait, did did they actually record it, or was he just saying they did? Like right, right. But you're right. I I do remember now that yeah, and they put the him. Benny Hill theme on top of it just to for extra right. comedic right. effect. Um, so the, yeah, I mean, the Meyer, they're there, they, they come, they're, you know, harvesting testosterone for, you know, nutritional reasons. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's all fine and dandy. I, I think the, and we've, we've already talked a lot about a shielder and of course there's the other, you know, there's her father, Einar and, Mm -hmm. okay, so... (laughs) The you know with the accents and things, I kept thinking of Tolkienian names of yeah. Isildur and Einar. Sure, um, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, and then you have um, you know the Vikings whom uh, the Doctor names, right. uh, you know, like Heidi and Doozy Top. And right, right. Um, <laughs> you know who are funny and all of that. Um, I don't know that I have a lot to say about them either. Like. Uh, there is the trickery and of course they all sort of have their parts to play but mm-hmm. like you know it's the doctor's plan ultimately right. yeah, of, yeah. Um, whatever uh, yeah I mean no I mean uh, clearly a shielder is the 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 only one that's really kind of fleshed out as a character yeah um Oh, so, but the one thing I don't know that we talked about much um, that we should at least bring mm-hmm. up here in the last few minutes is um, the idea of premonitions and her causing mm. various bad things to happen. And and we get sort of the, the um, 
you know, the one reference there, like kind of at the beginning where it's like, she's like, oh, I was afraid, you know, such and such had happened. But then like, uh, Einar says, you know, not every misfortune that befalls this village is down to you. And then she like says to the doctor, you know, she thinks she brings us bad luck. Mm. And I mean, I don't know that we ever get like a clear explanation as to why she thinks it, but you know, that seems to be like her premonition, you know, and that's, that's sort of the classical idea, right? It's like, you know, oh, these people who have the sight, mm -hmm. like are then sort of blamed for causing the bad things right. that they see happening. Right. Um, here, it seems like it's not quite that way. Like she's not being blamed, but she's taking on that responsibility Right. Of her own accord. Like right, she's blaming herself. It's that thing of it's like, not, yeah. because this was in my brain, I caused it to happen. Yeah. And that's not necessarily true either. Um, and like even Einar is like trying to dissuade her of that, saying, no, no, you didn't cause it. Like, that's yeah. ridiculous. Why? How could you have caused it? So, um, you know, I do like that little sort of twist on it. Um, right. And, and with the doctor's thing in the beginning of seeing her and kind of doing a double take, um, and he mentions about, you know, people think that, you know, whatever about premonitions, but they're just remembering in the wrong order. So you kind of have to wonder, is that maybe what's going on with a shielder? Maybe she's, you know not to say she's like a time traveler in the same way that the doctor is, but maybe rather than being bad luck or the cause of it, maybe she's remembering in the wrong order. You know, maybe she has some sort of second sight or whatever. And she mistakes that for being the cause of things rather than just, uh, you know, having a premonition that something will happen before it does. Sure. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you know, it's hard, hard to say, hard to say, but it, it, you know, again, like, like Harry Potter, it kind of sets her apart. You know, there's her whole thing of, you know, um, I'm strange and everybody knows it. And, you know, sure. It, it, she's always felt, you know, different and, you know, and then with what we see at the end, kind of see like she is obviously has a different destiny than, you know, the normal average Viking. Um, you know, and I mean, I don't think it's, um, I hope it's not spoilery at this point to say that we'll see her again. Um, but I want to point out uh, in this episode with Maisie Williams being the actress the way that it kind of plays on the Aria character too, you know, like mm. it feels like a very similar sort of role, like, you know, her thing about, uh, you know, the girls all thought I was a boy and, you know, the boys said I was a girl and, you know, like that she doesn't really fit in anywhere, um, which also sets her apart, you know, like the premonitions do this idea of, she doesn't really belong in any particular category, um, which kind of makes her sort of unique. But that tomboyish kind of, you know, 
slightly preternatural kind of thing. It feels very Arya to me. Um, so, you know, I won't yeah. say whether or not, like, you know, that, you know, continues to be what the character is like, but at least it's in this episode, I think, playing on her persona in Game of Thrones a little bit. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I definitely picked up on that. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, and the sort of assertiveness and. Yeah. Spunk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 she, you know, challenges this warrior race just for, you know, dishonoring her people and mocking her gods that, you know, uh, that kind of, you know, slightly sort of brave, but to a fault, you know, kind of reckless, sure. reckless in her bravery, I guess. Sure. Reckless, but also a little bit lucky. Like, like right. there's a touch of, of luck that sort of right. travels with her. If luck you call it. Um, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to see, because this did feel like a standalone story, uh -huh. um, albeit with kind, kind of like you described with Warren, like, like there's more to tell, but not necessarily like, right. It, it's not like a continue, like we're not picking up where we left off, right? you know, because we kind of left off with that weird panoramic shot. Yeah. So like, yeah. <laughs> You know, right. that would be a weird place to Where pick would we even pick off? Yeah, um, yeah. it's that kind of, okay, there's more to the story, but I don't know where it'll go. Yeah. Like, where do you yeah. where do you go from here is kind of the question. Yeah. Is this like a, you know, go set a Watchmen where it's like, yes, it's the same characters, but it's completely different story kind of thing right, from, right. you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. So um, anyway, so we'll see. Uh but yeah, I'm curious to see where it goes. And I know you're curious to see where Buffy goes, but yeah. Yeah. we're watching Angel next week. Yeah. For next week. So. On that note. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll see you then. Mm -hmm.